This time, we're taking a special look at the noir ultra-dark anti-hero crime film, The Batman. And along the way, we ask, is the world ready for an emo Batman? Was the three-hour runtime really necessary? And can we finally leave the DCEU behind and embrace a Batverse? We're a part of this too, and this is Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hello everybody and welcome back to what is a very special episode of the Force-Fed Sci-Fi Podcast where for once we're not talking about a science fiction film, but we're talking about a recent release. My name is Chris Drupp and as always I am joined by my friend and co-host. Detective Shawn Michael Culp. (laughs) So you would just be a detective. You don't want like the the physicality, uh, badassery behind Batman. You just want to solve crimes and stuff. No, no, I I do not want that physicality, badassery. Because number one, Batman does not have workman's comp, and uh, you know I want to get paid. So. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're a billionaire, do you really need workman's comp? And and there's a butler involved in all that too. That that is true, but who says I would be Batman? I, I would probably be this like schmuck vigilante as Sean right now, and no one wants to see Sean right now as a vigilante. I, I I'd rather be a detective. I mean, I heard there's <laughs> recruiting calls going out for Robin, so I mean, you might be in luck there. <laughs> the boy Robin, right? <laughs> there we go. You know, maybe who who wouldn't want to see me wearing a giant R and a uh, speedo? God, Robin was always so weirdly sexualized as a child. That's, but that's neither here nor there. We are talking about the Batman. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're trying. We're going to do our best to provide a full breakdown of the recent release. Uh, as always, with our newer films that we discuss here on the podcast, this is a recent release, and we're going to get heavy into spoilers a bit. So, if you want your experience to remain spoiler free. Please pause our episode here, go check out the Batman, and then come on back. We'll be waiting for you. So, let's provide our listeners with a brief synopsis of the Batman. So, set during the second year of Bruce Wayne's vigilante crusade as Batman, he begins to investigate a series of high-profile murders that's set to unravel a larger conspiracy that threatens the legacy of not only Gotham's police department, but that of the Wayne family. Nice. Dramatic, huh? This movie goes hard into the drama and the darkness, and I think that was something that they made very clear early on in the very first trailer for all of this. It's It was brutal. It was edgy. I don't think anybody expected to see a trailer um, that early in the production cycle, but it, it tipped its hat pretty early on as to what we could expect from this one. Absolutely. The palette... They were really uh, showing that car chase with the penguin. They're like, this is going to be a brutal film. This ain't no pow, kung poo. No, no, no. Goodbye, Adam West. Goodbye, Adam West, and even goodbye, Christian Bale. Like, this, the, the, the Nolan Christian Bale films were dark to some extent, but I don't think they're nearly as dark or as gritty as this is. Yeah, they were much different, like, with just the tale. It's it's just very different, very different style, um, thematically and everything. Um, 
And I don't know. I, I honestly, because we saw, because this is written and directed by Matt Reeves, who also did um, Planet of the Apes, the second and third one that we watched. Um, and so I can't remember. It's just like I was trying to compare the two, you know, because what, what I know I remembered what I enjoyed about those movies was Matt Reeves's focus on like the characters and the emotions behind them. Like he's really good at like with Caesar the ape, like the conflict between him and and I really um I was trying to like think back to this and I know that's like his bread and butter because as you said with the murders in this movie, the legacy of Wayne, it's just like a lot of unraveling of the um not so, not necessarily of a who done it, but you definitely can feel almost the theme of this film is like it breaks down the idea, the false narrative of uh, false dichotomies, you know, that we live like good versus evil. It's more like everything is gray. You know, everyone has skeletons in their closet, per se. Yeah, and that's something that was briefly touched on in the smallest of ways in the Nolan films. I think more so in The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises kind of dealing with the consequences of those decisions. But this one is... It's not a black and white world. It's very much in the gray. Like Batman, at least here in Matt Reeves's vision, is a very brutal, brooding, angry person. And and it's like it, you'd never once like doubt the screen presence of Robert Pattinson as Batman. Seeing him in his bat suit, he looks totally well formed and well suited for the part, and just brings out this physicality and anger and brooding that hasn't been seen at least in a cinematic version in a long time yeah and his uh i would say his dedication same thing with matt reeves the style like they show such a contrast between bruce wayne and batman like batman has always represented like the you know like bruce wayne uses Batman to be the altruistic version of who he wants to be because Bruce Wayne can't deal with himself. It's always been a facade. And this, you definitely see, like, when Robert Pattinson takes off, like, the costume, he's, like, just this hunched over, very pale, malnourished, insomniac. He just is, like, a shell of himself. And it just, like, seeing the comparison between the two, you just, like, see... It's just so interesting, like, when he he's, like, always in his home when he doesn't have the suit on, but then when he like wears the big coat, he's kind of like a a drifter, like a guy that like sneaks around, but then when he's Batman, he's like this raw, brooding guy. So I liked the, the uh distinction between like his commitment to the craft, but like the really physicality between the difference between his uh characters. It's weird because there's so many different interpretations and portrayals of Batman, but there's certain takeaways I think to note. Like Bruce Wayne is always much more comfortable being Batman and there's always uh, some situations and I think as as Bruce goes on later in his crime fighting career he understands that some situations are more better suited for Bruce Wayne to show up rather than Batman to show up but this is also very at least this movie is set very early on in Bruce's crusade as Batman so we we also see him set in an unfamiliar position where he's really not that great or he's not well experienced enough to progress and be the ultimate vigilante we know him to be especially in later um depictions yeah he's he, he sucks at his job like he's this big brooding guy but he's like not 
He's a good detective, but he's not the greatest detective. He makes a lot of poor choices. You know, they catch the penguin. Um, when they after the big car chase, they're like chasing down the penguin, and and we do have to shout out. Uh, congrats to Colin Farrell. His performance was really exceptional. I've ne- like he doesn't even look like Colin Farrell, but like. I would almost vote that the whole movie, Colin Farrell, like the Penguin, he doesn't really do anything that warrants the abuse that he gets, you know? Like, they were wrong. Like, they kept thinking he was the guy, the rat, um, doing all these terrible crimes. And no, the Penguin, every time, like, when the Jim Gordon and uh, uh, Bruce Wayne, like, interrogate him, they were completely wrong. And so you really see that, like, Batman, uh, Bruce Wayne, he's really not ahead of the curb per se no he's definitely more he's definitely behind the eight ball in a lot of situations um definitely finds himself in a lot of scenarios where he's being outmaneuvered or the riddler has is the upper hand on him um i mean the, the riddler i mean especially in like the several of the earlier like comic depictions of him is more of like somebody who you know traps people in elaborate puzzles um, not exactly death traps. Um, I think more so in the Arkham games is where the Riddler finally um, like steps up his modus operandi. He's willing to kill people. He builds a machine that's capable of killing Batman. And this in casting Paul Dano, who I didn't know he had this kind of performance in him, this darkness really <laughs> amps up the menacing quality of the Riddler by a factor of 10. And it's there are heavy inspiration from Michael Myers in the Halloween franchise, but man, the Riddler in as a serial killer in Gotham really, I th- think is a vein that should have been tapped a long time ago. Yeah, they, well, absolutely. I echo, he did a hell of a job and it's, it's different, right? Because I'm so used to the Riddler being this like Jim Carrey esque, like quirky, like, ah, you know, these weird, silly gags, but he was always kind of like this lowbrow villain that, you know, that Batman bests, you know, he doesn't really have to work a hard sweat. And so this is like a total difference. He's so devastating and you're absolutely right. He had, he's ahead of the curve. He, he's just like, it's almost like Batman is his puppet the entire film. And he's got some great tricks. The great, the letters were awesome. Like the little cards that he gave Batman. I mean, he's so menacing. So, just Paul Dano and he does have the typical Paul Dano freak out in every single film that he does. So he did not shy away from that. Kind of like how the Vince Vaughn has the weird monologue in every movie. Yeah. Every actor has got their quirks. Paul Dano is no exception, but there are great other actors too. Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, Fantastic. Jeffrey Wright as uh, Jim Gordon. We've also got John Turturro as Carmine Falcone. Peter Sarsgaard as Gil Coulson and one of our favorite actors on the force fed sci-fi podcast. We've got Andy circus as Alfred Pennyworth. Yes. Do you think Andy circus is Matt Reeves go to um, at this point? I would have to say yes. Um, and th- this relationship here that Alfred and Bruce kind of share, isn't the, the warm fuzzy relationship that Michael Caine and Christian Bale shared. This is, uh, I would say hostile in a lot of ways. Yeah, I would say absolutely. Uh, you can see that Bruce Wayne has a lot of resentments towards uh, Alfred. 
Like he just he, he very much treats him as like a butler, whereas in the Nolan trilogy, definitely there was like that father son relationship. And and I do credit though Andy Serkis as Alfred because he still tries. Like you know, he he has very similar qualities to Alfred as in every single Batman um, depiction has. Like Alfred has always been this almost father like character, looks out for Bruce and wants to help him. Um, but you can, this is like the first depiction that we've seen where really like Bruce Wayne is like F off, you know, he's like, I don't care. Like you're Alfred has Wayne, uh, cufflinks and he gives them to Bruce because Bruce goes to the funeral and Bruce is like, why do you have those? You know, like very dismissive almost. Yeah. Like the, the role of Alfred, I mean, they has to walk a very fine line between father, butler mentor confidant and healer oftentimes um but i think the best way to sum up alfred whoever plays him is you go always you support bruce but you don't support batman so when bruce comes home and he's battered from his duties as batman you patch him up and you do your best to support bruce and but you don't outwardly condone what batman is doing yes he is the one he like picks him up Right, he helps him get back into fighting shape. It sucks though because I feel like this whole film, Alfred had to constantly almost like prove himself to Bruce Wayne. Right, like you know, he cared for his father. Like all these different things, he had to keep explaining to like Bruce. You know, I am worth a damn almost. He's the keeper of the Wayne secrets, and this is a this is something that's kind of come up in at least movies we've seen in the past. I think. Um, Specifically, I'm thinking of a scene from Black Panther where uh, T'Challa confronts Zuri, the the priest uh, um, shaman of Wakanda, and Zuri says something along the lines like, I have a duty to my king, and T'Challa reminds him, I am your king now. Like, you have to tell me what you were holding so secretive from me. And this that's when Alfred kind of spills the, his, uh, the beans as to what happened with his father, um, the, the reporter that was digging up secrets on the family and the favor he asked from Carmine Falcone, that all comes spewing out in the very tender moment to, that um, Alfred and Bruce share as Alfred's recuperating in the hospital. Yeah. What a way to wake up from a coma. But Ed, nonetheless, a very interesting take on Thomas Wayne, right? Because we always, in pretty much every Batman, Thomas Wayne is hailed as like Jesus Christ-like for being like this great doctor and helping people. But this is like the first time that even though we don't see Thomas Wayne on screen, like we did in Joker, which also was a depiction of Thomas Wayne, really not being that great of a guy. um, We see Thomas Wayne, like for once, you know, be human, right? He's protecting his wife because she has like info leaked about her mental illness going into um, Arkham. And he, you know, he trusts, he elicits the help of a mobster to take care of this unruly photographer they couldn't buy out. And I mean, you know, that shows how like human, right? Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, what Matt Reeves is trying to tell people about every character in this movie is that humans are complicated. Like Thomas Wayne. Yes. He was looking out in the best interests of his wife and his family. Was it smart to ask a favor from a mobster? Probably not. But then again, humans are complicated. <laughs> Bruce is definitely complicated. He has these very complex feelings of anger and grief, and the only way he knows how to express it is by being Batman. Zoe Kravitz, like 
she yeah she aligns herself with batman because it's convenient for her and probably the best way to go about finding uh her missing friends so everybody has their own motivations and human beings are complicated at the end of the day no one's really truly good and no one's really truly evil yeah yeah that's a very very well way to put it for this film and you can see that because it's like you know when you love someone so much you'll do anything to protect them and care for them unfortunately for thomas wayne eliciting the help of a mobster now he didn't think he would kill him falcone would kill the man but you know that's unfortunately what he got because you know as they alluded falcone wanted power over Wayne and and it's just like such a tough situation to be in you're about to uh unveil renewal and like all this pressure mayor so it's like you know what is the right decision because so many things there's so much intersectionality there so it's pretty just a very um interesting and different depiction right of like conflict and something that we've never seen really in a superhero film I would say definitely kind of a welcome change to not exactly paint everybody in the best of lights. Everybody, everybody's got good and darkness in them. Yes. Very grounded. So this film, I guess in the best light who, so the man that was it that portrayed Batman before Robert Pattinson, he wasn't portrayed in the best light. Like people didn't like Ben Affleck really too much as Batman, but he, Actually, I guess was started, he originally, like, I think in 2017, he was going to, like, direct this movie, write it. It was going to be a solo Batman film. But I know I read about it, I'm sure you did, like, the difficulty of getting this film off the ground. Yeah, and I think a lot of that was due to the backlash that films like uh, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice received, as well as Justice League before that was re-edited into Zack Snyder's Justice League. And I think it was like 2017 or 2018, Ben Affleck probably had like a, probably one of the worst years that any human being has ever had in terms of like just the amount of personal crap that happened. I mean, people <laughs> hated him as Batman at that point, but again, you could argue he was more the victim of bad movies as opposed to a bad performance. Um, and he, he uh, he relapsed into alcoholism, which is um, which is awful, and because of that, he was di- he was divorced from Jennifer Garner, his wife at the time, and this personal upheaval led him to just like drop out of everything. Like he left the the role of Batman. He wasn't going to write this movie, direct this movie, star in it, and any didn't want to be involved in any capacity, and that forced Warner Brothers to pivot and hire bring on Matt Reeves, who is just off of making. Uh, more for the planet of the apes but man like i what could have been if ben affleck had stayed on to star and direct in this movie yeah right with a good mental health space um and he got to create the batman that he always wanted to do without having you know Zack snyder in the studio meddling that who knows you know i I enjoyed uh, Ben Affleck as Batman. I mean, it, it took a while. <laughs> I didn't. I haven't really seen Batman vs Superman, and I saw the first Justice League that came out. But I really, this last one that came out really um, improved his like everything, the whole aura and essence of who he was as Batman. So I was like kind of bummed when he dropped out because I really liked Ben Affleck as a director. But you know, all those circumstances, you know, nobody's 
perfect, and I'm glad he got his stuff taken care of. Yeah, I mean, he's he's going to come back and play Batman one more time, and then he's done with the role, but uh, it's just such a shame because he could have been a very great Batman had there have been decent films he was starring in. That is true. But then again, who knows? We would have maybe never gotten the movie uh, Tender Bar that came out that he was in that was really good. And then I think that other film where he was like the basketball coach, a recovering alcoholic. So everything happens for a reason in life. And so I'm glad he's in a better place, you know. And plus then we got this film, which is definitely a different, fresher uh, take on it, too. Well, and if Ben Affleck had stayed on, we wouldn't have seen Robert Pattinson cast as a Batman in uh, May 2019. And oh, my God, the backlash was real against Robert Pattinson. Yeah. A lot of people did not like him, and I know at one point, like he he was like he was complaining or voicing his concerns about having you be in like such great shape to be a superhero, which I don't blame him, um, because Michael Keaton didn't have to be as jacked. So I I understand like uh, why people were mad, and then also his like perspective on it as well. Yeah, I think a lot of people just have colored this perception of Robert Pattinson because of the Twilight films and like don't judge anybody based off of their early work I mean if Robert Pattinson continued doing crappy films after Twilight then I would have said yeah I question this casting but he he's been in some decent films since then he was in a a thriller uh, from the Safdie brothers called Good Time and then um just in 2020 he was in the the Christopher Nolan science fiction film Tenet which you know he was um didn't get a chance to show off his acting chops but he he could you know play a role in an action thriller if you gave him a right chance oh yeah he was great in that and i always hail lighthouse if you want to see robert Pattinson, that's what sold me on him the lighthouse it's so good him and willem dafoe and and i've always said like if you want to know if an actor is good like you want to really see an actor work their chops put them in a movie where it's just them and someone else in like one location because that's not a lot to work with you can't CGI it. It's just down to raw acting at that point. It's like a play. And he just was so good in that movie, him and Willem Dafoe. So check him out. Yeah, then we also, the rest of the cast was announced later in 2019. And then they got to work in January 2020. But a little thing called COVID-19 uh, started coming <laughs> up all over the world. And they had to postpone filming for a long time. Yeah, this I don't know if this was ever on the list of like maybe never being made, but it went through hell. I think it would have been different if there was a smaller budget to this movie. If it wasn't made for um, the millions and millions of dollars it was made for, I think it probably wouldn't have seen the light of day, but they were full on committed to it. I mean, they, they started filming in January, paused in March, and then there was that teaser trailer that came out in August of 2020 that everybody was talking about i mean i was a huge fan i was watching it basically up until the movie was released and i mean obviously they finished filming it just uh with everything going on in the world and i think there was also an um an accent coach uh involved in production who actually passed away from covid so the this production was affected pretty heavily by by the pandemic very much very much so they, i mean they still rocked it out i don't know how so, like, a big thing with this, in the trailer, you hear, like, a new theme for Batman, right? Dark and brooding. Very different than, like, the Hans Zimmer 
that like I feel like defines like the Nolan trilogy. This theme is really uh, prominent. I feel like in the car chase, and it's made by uh, Michael Gigacchino. <laughs> if that's how you say it, and didn't he make it in like less than a month? It's a it's pronounced Gacchino because I'm a I'm a big soundtrack nerd, and uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, he was hired in October 2019 and composed the main theme in less than a month, and which is why it was used early on in the marketing. And this, something I learned in listening to uh, another podcast, I'm a big fan of the soundtrack show with David W. Collins. He has a saying where he said, great um, themes can be used in multiple different ways. And we see, I mean, or at least we hear Batman's theme used in so many different points in the film. I mean, you reference um, the Batmobile chase uh, where he's chasing down the, the penguin. It's using um, a lot of the investigative scenes. Um it's used also in very uh, sarnful, mournful themes as well. Um, but I think probably my favorite use of it is um, near the end where Bruce is about to rescue Selina from being killed by uh, Carmine Falcone. And you just hear it accentuate and it's loud. It's crescendoing and all the mobsters are shooting at him, but the bullets aren't doing anything in Batman's armor. I thought that was the coolest use of that theme in the entire movie. Yeah, I... <laughs> I it it really only struck me during the car chase. I honestly I did not it didn't uh yeah. I didn't uh it didn't blow me away in the other scenes for some reason. I guess it just I don't know. I wasn't uh I don't know. I don't know why. I I mean, yeah, it's I think in the car chase it's it's heard very loud, very quick because I think it's supposed to reflect the the nature of the Batmobile, but and I think if you watch it and you pay close attention to it, you'll you'll hear it in many different uh, moments in the film. But that's cool. <laughs> I'm glad it, <laughs> I'm glad it stuck for you. The uh, I know, like for me, the big thing that really set this film well. It's well, it's interesting because like recent Batman films that because um, I watched the trilogy Nolan's recently. And it starts off with a big moment. And it's just like this one as well. Like the film starts off with the Riddler like spying on the soon the mayor and he brutally murders him, you know, with a carpenter tool. And uh, like that's right open in the scene at the beginning. And and that's kind of cool because some of the bat most actually I think all of the Batman movies except for begins uh, recently, they all started with introducing the villain. So they went, boom, they went right into it. Yeah, the movie doesn't waste any time in introducing us to the Riddler. And that scene where he shows up in the mayor's apartment is terrifying. It's a mayor just turns away and then all of a sudden the Riddler's right there, like Michael Myers. Just, ooh, murder victim time. <laughs> right? Yeah, he's just like standing behind him and you're like, when is he going to see him? Is, is he going to turn now? What's going to happen? Very creepy. They really set these characters up, like the Riddler and Batman, for who they are. Like the Riddler is very shifty, sneaky, in the shadows. He strikes, he strikes quick, and he makes his like um, victims like known and heard in his crimes. Whereas Batman, it's a very slow draw. It's almost like um, a cowboy western. Like with Batman, this is like the very first time that we've seen Batman kind of well in recent films, like where he's not like a ninja. So, like, with the first introduction of Batman, you just hear these footsteps, these loud, thundering footsteps of coming out of the shadows. And it's very um, into the theme of fear 
and he walks basically like a cowboy almost because at some points they like have the camera pan to his feet and it, it kind of reminded me of like a john wayne like a western almost yeah like if john wayne was somehow cast in a batman movie i i, yeah, I see where you're going with that just like the physicality of like western movies you know it's like they just walk they go and they approach like for the last showdown and that's kind of what struck me with this Batman. He's just very physical. He's not uh, the sneaky type. I mean, the first time we see Batman is he's literally emerging from the darkness to beat up that gang that's uh, about to, you know, presumably murder somebody on that subway platform. Uh, just it punches it to the crowd, you know. He's this brooding, like, physical man. And he's really not like... Um, you know, he's not like this friendly neighborhood Spider-Man guy. He's, you know, he saves the guy and then just walks away. <laughs> yeah, like there's a lot of similarities now. And thinking back on the introductions of both the Riddler and Batman, you know, we see the Riddler or we don't even see him. We, we, the film opens like through the point of view of these binoculars as the Riddler is scouting the mayor's family and trying to find a way into um, that apartment comp uh, building there. And then we also get Bruce's voiceover as he's saying, I need to be selective about my targets and, you know, strike fear into my enemies. It's like, okay, you and you and Riddler, I mean, kind of got some similarities going on different sides of, of the same coin, but yeah, you're more alike than you two want to admit. Very much so there. That's, the relationship between them is pretty interesting. That's why I liked the storytelling elements in this film. It's very interesting because like they're both so similar that it feels like almost Batman is helping the Riddler solve his crimes unbeknownst to him, you know, and they're working together as quote unquote a team because that's why like the end where they meet up after the Riddler gives himself up, you know, in his mind, they're a team because they have so many similarities in how they do their business. Yeah, and it raises that question, especially at the end, you know, after the Riddler's been caught and, you know, people have died and the bombs go off that breaks the seawall. It's is that an eternal question every time, you know, Batman movie comes out and the villains seem to win. Like, does Batman does Batman really make things better or does he just make things worse? I don't know. <laughs> it didn't seem like it because you know if batman would have let selena kyle kill falcone um you know the riddler would have never gotten you know he would have never been able to shoot him and then like what would have happened <laughs> you know that's what i was thinking i'm like you know if he wouldn't have intervened in so many different ways in this film then the riddler wouldn't have been able to do his crime so that's why it's very interesting that's why like i say batman's young but he also like still has that moral compass where he like doesn't kill people um and i think it's like that's a good question like does he help the city i don't know it's in this movie not really it really like leaves you off saying like i mean he does save everyone at the end but it's all kind of like a cost because of him essentially. And I think a lot of that has to do with how Pattinson is portraying at least this version of Bruce Wayne, where Bruce only thinks that he can do good as Batman without realizing, oh, wait, I'm a billionaire. I have all of this money that I can use to improve the city and try to make things better. I don't think he quite understands that and really kind of 
tapping into the darkness and the, and the comfort that goes along with him being Batman. Yeah. The guy suffers from like hardcore depression. It seems like <laughs> in this depiction, because he's very, just so dour. And like, I know people coined him as a emo Batman because he like has the long hair, ghostly white, his bags under his eyes almost look like eyeliner and like he's putting on makeup. I mean, his nails are black from all the soot. So I mean, it's it's very similar to emo Batman, and he's so depressed and dour. So maybe he doesn't even know, or like because his parents passed, um, he never like was into that stuff. He never got those values. Who knows? I mean, there's no correct way to grieve, but I cannot imagine the trauma of having witnessed both of your parents murdered in front of you and to have the crime go unsolved for years. Like, oh, yeah. There's, there's no blueprint of kidding past that. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's but that's that is true. There is no blueprint of it. Like, even if he's a billionaire, you know, and he could afford the best psychiatrist ever. I mean, it's just a very um, it's just a different relationship because like even Alfred tells him he's like um he says in it like i didn't know how to take care of you i could teach you how to fight but you needed a father you know whereas that's just a shift from the other comics where alfred does feel like that father character that kind of instilled those morals and values in bruce whereas alfred kind of in this one he like knows his like spot you know he's a butler and that's it i mean yeah batman is definitely sort of like this emo kid's fantasy of just being moody and the having the ability to pummel your problems into oblivion. But, <laughs> I mean, this is somebody who's definitely more comfortable in his anger and grief than, than trying to move forward. I mean, at least at first. In, but we see Batman more than we see Bruce in this movie. Like When they title a film called The Batman, I, w- I thought there would have been a bit more of an even split in terms of seeing Bruce and seeing Batman, but no, Bruce is in that Batman costume. I, I mean, if I had to put a number on it, at least 80% of this movie. Yeah, he, he is in it a lot. Um, definitely, definitely. Because this film, I feel, is a lot more focused on, like, telling the story of him as the detective and, like, solving the crimes as opposed to um, the interworkings of behind the scenes, as Bruce Wayne always was, right? Uh, in making appearances, though I would say the appearances when he does show up as Bruce Wayne, it's always very meaningful, and I find that it also advances like the story. It's used to build more of like who Bruce Wayne is, because as Batman, you don't really get to learn. You can you can only learn so much about like Bruce Wayne under Batman, the guys, right? You can really see like, all right, this is how he fights. He's either a good detective or not. But Bruce Wayne is where like we learn. How's his emotional capabilities? Is he growing as a character or not? And so the scenes like with Falcone, Alfred, Selena Kyle, like, well, not Selena Kyle, but Alfred and like the Falcone scenes, those ones are really like the big, fear me, the emotional hard hitter ones that um, I really enjoyed a lot. Yeah, I I do love the interactions between Bruce and Falcone. It's um, especially when he when they show up to the mayor's funeral. And Falcone recounts a story that uh, uh, Dr. Wayne 
uh, dug a bullet out of Falcone's chest. It's it's a scene that's a, or at least it's a moment that's ripped straight out of one of the one of the best storylines ever written for the Batman, the Long Halloween, and like for me, like me as a Batman mega nerd, as soon as Falcone starts talking about that, I'm like, oh, he's talking about the Long Halloween. <laughs> yeah, and he Bruce was not having any of it. He's like the Hippocratic Oath. <laughs> <laughs> And then when Falcone drops that bon, uh, bomb on him about, you know, your dad hired me to go talk to the reporter. And then I, you know, <laughs> he said, put the fear of God into him. So we killed him. Yeah. When the fear of God doesn't work, you got to take matters into your own hands. And that's what he did. That was interesting. That was a really interesting scene, you know, because it kind of like put forth maybe Thomas Wayne isn't a good guy. And it really makes made Bruce question like his whole motives behind like going out. And doing all this stuff. Well, and it really kind of, um, I guess, amplifies the effect that his father's absence um, really does have, not just in Bruce and Alfred's life, but in the city in general. I mean, I mean, Thomas Wayne was running for mayor with the promise of this Gotham renewal fund. And when he was gone, nothing was done with it. And the city was made even worse because of the lack of uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne. And just became this really just kind of this empty coffer that all of the criminals and politicians could take from without consequences. Absolutely. Uh, lack of oversight on that government program. And sure enough, it just run amok. Uh, so that was pretty interesting. That was just like really interesting, like how Falcone was Falcone was the mayor, essentially the quote unquote mayor of the town because of all like the uh Wheelings and dealings underneath, you know, all that power. And money does talk, apparently. Yeah, it's definitely the the first Batman film that I can remember that was, that's been centered around, like, a central conspiracy, you know, throughout the entire film. I mean, the when I first saw the runtime, you know, two hours and 56 minutes or whatever, I was like, whoa, why is a Batman film that long? And... Like I know people have been criticizing it a little bit, but I thought it made full use of that three-hour runtime. I mean, it, that mystery, that conspiracy is slowly unraveled. It's definitely more of a slow burn of a movie. Um, the I, I don't I don't know what what are you, what are your thoughts on that three-hour runtime? I uh, it, it reminded me of the movie um, the Zodiac Killer or the Zodiac, I guess. Um, very slow burn. Very 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 slow burn. Um, I understood like now, cause I've seen it twice to clear it up. Um, I, I still, I am one of those people though, that thinks he could have cut it shorter, but I understand why he has it so drawn out because that's the style that he shot. And like the second time that I saw it, it like made me understand why, like if he cut things, it would just be like, where do you cut <laughs> because there's just so like everything is so intertwined um so it's tough it's really tough um though i did for i was i was though like i wanted it to end <laughs> by the time the riddler and batman like met at the jail i was like or arkham i'm like i am so tired i need this to end and so for me um it just was a little too long it really was just uh, the slow burns are okay. I, I'm just, I'm not a slow burn guy for three hours. As I've noted in like Dune, um, 
no, three hours is just really long for me to watch a screen for something to only have a payoff the last 20 minutes of the film, if that. So, yeah, that was kind of like my one of my criticisms of it. Yeah, the the movie could have ended with uh, you know, the Riddler getting arrested, but but because it's a Batman movie and we're so used to the villains just you know being ahead of the curve, like we gotta have that one final twist. And I and I just wish we would filmmakers would get away from this whole idea. It's like, well, there has to like the villain has to have something else up their sleeve. Like, no, they don't. <laughs> Maybe you could just catch them or kill them and have it be the end of it. Yeah, and and. And that's like the interesting thing about it, because if they would have had him just like like the Riddler turn himself in at the end, very Seven-esque, it would have just been such a different film um, because I think it would have shown that like, well, it just would have been tough because Batman essentially wouldn't have really like done anything heroic in the movie and um, outside of like the opening scene with him. Uh, and so I think like I understand why they had to have this like mega twist at the end with like the Riddler being like, ah, actually I have bombs everywhere <laughs> because they they needed to have Bruce Wayne like or Batman save the city to build faith in him and do something heroic or else then the movie essentially is just like a really dour, sad, awful film. But I think because it was such like a meta grounded, you know, like everything's gray film. It wouldn't have been bad if they ended it with just the Riddler there, you know, because he did the mission. Um, And I think that was kind of like one of my like sore spots because I was like, you know, the Riddler, like his his like grievances was against renewal and the people attached to renewal. He like didn't have like anything against like the city of Gotham. So that was just kind of like a really hefty turn in character for me. But I understand they probably, you know, wrote themselves into a corner. Yeah, I it, like having him be a financial accountant that uncovered this corruption that was buried in the Gotham Renewal Fund was a bit thin for me. Usually serial killers have, you know, some you know bigger means uh, or at least motive to them. Um, it was like, oh, he was an orphan, had a rough upbringing, and then just couldn't deal with the corruption of the Gotham Renewal Fund. And then Batman showed up. Was like, oh, this is how the Batman solves his problems by like putting on his mask, and I'll decide to just murder people. Like, it's mm-hmm. a bit thin for me. The Riddler's motivations. Um, I think having introducing like his, uh, I guess acolytes isn't the right word. I guess followers maybe is something better. Show up at the end at the arena and you know start loading for where and <laughs> um, <laughs> that scene in the arena where they're all loading their rifles and about to shoot on. The entire crowd just filled me with such anxiety. I'm like, oh my god, this is this is now going to turn into a horrible mass shooter event, right? Me too. I was like, wow, they're going like balls to the walls. I'm like modern times. <laughs> Though according to Matt Reeves, they wrote the script before. Like you know, this was the original stuff that was in the 2017 script. But who knows? Um, that was very anxiety invoking for me too, man. That's like a worst case scenario. Like, oh my God, what is going on? <laughs> and that mayor was fearless. <laughs> she was like, no, I am here for the people until she saw them pointing those guns. It was like, JK. <laughs> oh, wait, get me out of here because there's actual bullets that are about to hit me. 
<laughs> Poor lady. She got shot in the chest, man. And somehow survived. <laughs> I was like, kudos to you, girl. Oh, Jim Gordon. But that, that um, it was an okay scene. I, I really liked this when uh, Batman used the uh, extinguisher to like have that cloud of smoke come up. Because um, that was kind of like the first time that we really see him like use his surroundings and like kind of like, you know, like how in the old in the cartoons where he like throws a smoke grenade or whatever and uses his uh, his uh, I can't think of the word, but like his sneak and his tactiles and all that stuff to like get the advantage on the opponents. So I really like that imagery. I was like, it's so cool. But then he just tackles the guy. I mean, at least when he breaks through the glass of the arena and starts, like, you know, beating up all the uh, the, the Riddler henchmen, the, the, there's a huge payoff Yeah, he breaks in through the glass and then just starts messing fools up. Like, I I loved it. I was probably cheering in my seat the second he plops down and just starts throwing people off and let them dangle from the from the rafters <laughs> or whatever. Um, but, man, when, when he – and then the scene just goes just – I don't want to say stops, but it takes such a turn when he takes that shotgun blast in the chest and then has to inject himself with, um, I don't know. I don't know what that was. I th- I'm going to call it a, <laughs> like, you know, a, a venom derivative because that's exactly what he does. He gets that burst of strength and then he, he saves Catwoman from being murdered again. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you could have called this, he should have just kept like a running mark of how many times he saved Catwoman from certain death. Yes. Yes, he saves her tail many times, many times. Um, yeah, it was just, it was really interesting. The, yeah, the adrenaline juice was an ex machina, but I just feel like they, you know, they just had to, I don't know, it was just like so many themes that I feel like they were trying to push into this movie, especially at the end. And I guess why that's why the end didn't really do it for me, because it was like such a slow burn and slow build for this payoff, but it was okay. I really liked when she was like, go to sleep, go to sleep, because I really thought they were going to kill him, Batman. I was like, wow, what a way to go, man. <laughs> that, you know, that that's such a drastic turn. But then my buddy that I saw it with, he's like, no, they're having a trilogy, man. Money. And I was like, ah, of course. But fair enough, you know, it is what it is. He ends up saving the day. And um, yeah, they use the imagery of him like leading the people with the torch and you know he has the rebaptism when he cuts the electric cord rising out of the water to be the new batman that's here for the people instead of his own selfish need yeah kind of this uh, unintentional uh christ uh, symbolism there going on in the movie yeah. <laughs> But but I think that does show the shift in character. Like, initially, he was a very angry guy that I don't think he knew his motivations really that much of why he was going out and being a prowler and hurting people, or like, taking down the crimes, I think. And, like, saving the people kind of brought it into focus that he's there to inspire, like, hope and bring the city together. Um. I think it just like took all that and it took like the guy saying I'm vengeance because the whole movie they don't refer to him as Batman they refer to him as Mr. Vengeance and you just you see that shift you know he was going out and doing this for his own selfish need almost for like getting trying to like quench the pain and he he changes at after that. And if you notice too when the arena does flood the the first person he saves is um the the mayor's son yeah and 
this is a it's a recurring character. It's similar to the the little girl in the red coat from from Schindler's List. You know, Bruce and Batman continuously find themselves, you know, f- uh, taking care of you know, this little boy. I mean, Batman stares at him intently upon leaving the mayor's apartment. He saves this little boy from the the car that's crashing through the funeral, and then at the end, he pulls him out of the wreckage as the water is rushing in, mm-hmm. and. I forget which story that this comes up in, but like, no, you're absolutely right. Like Bruce's motives shift from vengeance to, to justice, to being a a savior. And he says something along the lines of, I want to prevent what happened to me happening to somebody else. Like that's, I think that's the moment when his crusade shifts from making himself feel better to being a symbol of hope and justice for Gotham. Yeah, and he does. He saves that kid, <laughs> which is great. Yeah, I really like that scene where he saves the little boy. I I figured, <laughs> though though my brain joked was like, of course he would save the white boy before the minorities. <laughs> well, the the mayor doesn't take his hand at first. No. It's it's the little boy who who offers it up willing, like save me, like yes, of course, because he's eight. <laughs> like he doesn't want to drown in some rat filled arena. Right, exactly, and he does, and everyone follows. It was it was very cute. It was very cute. So it does end uh, in an interesting, like hopeful way. Um, just very interesting. It's so interesting. Um, I do have to credit though, uh, Zoe Kravitz, man, that girl. She is so good as Catwoman. She has all of the earmarks of what Catwoman and Selena Kyle is supposed to be in a movie like she looks great in in her outfit she's a cat burglar obviously she and robert pattinson have like you could cut their chemistry with a knife it's so thick and palpable and and she's somebody who has her own agenda and her own motivations but you know temporarily for this movie they align uh with batman and she's gonna help him out and and he's gonna do the same for her and she is probably the the, a perfect sidekick pairing for this movie for him yeah she is totally using him and they like use each other in a way uh to get what they want and need and it's it's very i i really liked her emotional portrayal like she just like having the tie-in that she was falcon falcon's daughter was really cool to me I, i really that was like something I don't know if it was in the comics, but it added like higher stakes and I added a level of uh, conflict to the film that like the interpersonal like issues that she's going with by going in the club every day and like seeing him and having to deal with that. The man that murdered her mother um, is also her father. It just very she did such a great job, <laughs> such a great job. I would rate her performance as probably my favorite Catwoman. Better than uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, though you can't really compare them because Pfeiffer was so like comic book esque, pow. Whereas this one is way more grounded, but and she's so gorgeous, <laughs> Zoe. <laughs> yeah, seeing her in this makes me all the more furious that she was turned down from playing Selena Kyle in The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, well, maybe because she was so young back then, you know. Whereas, like, um, you know, when like. She's like 22, whereas Anne Hathaway was a little bit older. 
Though kudos to Anne Hathaway. I really liked her in uh, The Dark Knight Rises as well. But just like the emotion that Zoe has is so good. And her and Robert were great. Well, she's also uh, Pattinson's gateway into kind of like this, the seediness, the underbelly, like the true corruption that lies in Gotham. Because what I mean, by all accounts, what Bruce is doing early on in his in his Batman career is like surface level stuff. He's scaring street criminals like he hasn't he hasn't been able to like get it, it the true villains, the true the, the real people that are making things worse for the people of Gotham. And she's his gateway into that. They use each other to to get what they want. And um, though I, I really wanted him to run with her at the end. <laughs> I was like, go with her. You'll be happy. <laughs> uh, don't worry. She's going to come back. Like, <laughs> I think it would be impossible to do a sequel without Zoe Kravitz coming back. Right? I mean, I mean even if she doesn't, it, it was such a good send off for her character. Them riding against each other racing on their motorcycles kind of playing a game of tag almost um and they part ways it's really sad but it's but it's once again it's growth because um bruce he was always so to himself and didn't care about anyone didn't you know he didn't want to let anyone in his life or the emotion and you see that like he he wants her to stay he doesn't have the words um, he looks back at her as she's riding away, you know, I, I, I think it was growth and I really, I thought that was great. And I mean, yeah, I mean, he's the only person in the movie he really allows in and allows himself to care for. I mean, I mean, even Jim Gordon, like who he buddies up with in this odd buddy cop, you know, good cop <laughs> and, you know, bad cop relationship in a, in a literal form, like. Even Gordon even remarks like I've known you for two years. I don't know who you really are. <laughs> Shoutouts to uh, I think Jeffrey Wright. I believe he was so he was so good as Jim Gordon. Uh, different, obviously different. You can't. I don't think you could compare him even to Gary Oldman because Gary Oldman was more like emotional, um, just different, just very different. But Jeffrey Wright totally had that buddy cop feel. He he always called him May. He's like, "Hey man, what are you, what are you doing, man?" Like, <laughs> I loved it. He was so cool. Just very like uh, even keeled. There just there wasn't. Uh, he was just really relaxed around him. There wasn't like this weird like veil of like professionalism. Yeah, like like you were saying, like Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman looked like he was basically cut out of a comic panel from <laughs> from a Batman uh, storyline. <laughs> and Jeffrey Wright, man, like he. It, it, the way he shot, the way he interacts with Batman, he's uh, Jeffrey Wright is always in the light, like a subtle nod to him being the only good cop on the force. And like, I don't know, like, I think for me, this rivals, I mean, more films need to be released for me to cement this opinion. But I really do think that Jeffrey Wright is probably the the t- pinnacle of on-screen Jim Gordon portrayals. Yeah. I would, uh, I'm actually going to agree with you there. I feel, I really enjoyed, uh, Gary Oldman's performance, but this one, you, it's just tough because it's like, you just get so much more time with him and it's portrayed in much different grounded light. Um, whereas Gordon felt more like a theme throughout the Dark Knight series. So, but I definitely agree. I, um, yeah, I really liked, uh, Jeffrey Wright. He was so cool. 
<laughs> he was just so badass, man. <laughs> Takes that punch from Batman. Like, that was my favorite scene, actually, where they clear out the cops out of the detective hold. And he's like, I'll talk to you about talk to him. He's like, we got to get you out of here. <laughs> punch me in the face. <laughs> and then you see him later like, you could have pulled your punch a bit more. I did. <laughs> and I love that. It reminded me, yeah, go for it. It reminded me of that moment in a Thor Ragnarok where Thor looks at Loki and goes, let's do get help. <laughs> It was. I mean, he was great. He was so funny. Um, like when they were questioning the penguin, too. That was like such a good scene, even though it like doesn't really add much to the story. But when Jim Gordon's going off of his crazy like rant and like just, you know, throwing out accusations left and right to Colin Farrell, I'm like, yes, this is like totally buddy cop. I think that scene was just mostly to give us more colin farrell as uh the penguin in this movie because man like like you were saying earlier he just had he is fantastic in this movie and you could tell along with him and john turturro they were just having a ball of a time playing their respective characters they were they were having so much fun i i love john uh turturro i've never really seen him in much outside of like those sometimes god awful adam sandler films <laughs> and i was like wow this guy can act really well um, I really like his, his menacing. He just seems like this frail old man, but no, he's just got this menace to him. And he's, he's willing to strangle people, not shoot people. He's going to kill you with his own bare hands. And that's, that's just like grit. That is, Ooh, that's another level of murder in my opinion. And Colin Farrell, though, I do feel like in this whole film, he was the one guy that I don't think needed to be in the movie. To tell the story, I think he was here for the spinoff series, but he was so good, even though he didn't really impact the story. And he was so funny, like that scene where he's like, you can't tell the difference between L and La. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're definitely going to see more Colin Farrell in that uh, that spinoff series. And uh, uh, I really hope that he comes back as a, a villain, a true villain in either a second or a third film. But it's exciting to see Colin Farrell like be a part of a franchise that has staying power because he's definitely going to be involved in those sequels. Well, he's just like such a underrated actor, I feel like, but so heavily respected in the community. And um, I know he like walked away from Hollywood like after Total Recall and only did like indie films for like the last better part of a decade. So I was really shocked when he decided to come back for this because I know he like hated Hollywood and was like, no, nah, I'm just going to do great indie movies like the lobster but i'm happy he's back because god he's so good he ascended to stardom like so quickly he was in blockbuster after blockbuster and it's nice to see him like finally be comfortable with his career to a point where he feels like he can do a franchise like this and have fun with it because he's like you were saying like he's avoided franchises for god knows how long and then this comes along i mean this isn't the part i i would have envisioned for him but he accepted and he's he's running away with it he fully has embraced being the penguin in this film yeah that's why like if they would have switched him like didn't have falcone in it it was just the penguin he may have like run away with a uh probably a golden globe or an academy award nod because he's so like in his part he's like so invested and just interesting wild funny just Everything, but I understand why they had to have Falcone in it, 
and the tie to it all makes sense. Um, I just don't know if I'll watch the spinoff because I don't have much time. <laughs> no, no, I can I can definitely understand that, and uh, a lot uh, remains to be seen as to what that spinoff is going to look like, though. Definitely. I mean, well, we've been going for a while on this, but we can wrap up in a little bit. Um, so a couple other things. I guess we could talk about it. Different film, right? Very crime-oriented with Batman. I felt the, uh, especially with the car chase, that was very French Connection-esque. Yeah, I agree. This, I mean, savvy, like, movie buffs will recognize the influences from all kinds of genres. I mean, especially crime films. You've got The French Connection. You've got Chinatown. you got Zodiac. you got Seven. Um, a lot of great action, though, in this movie. Like, you were talking about the Batmobile chase. Like, man... Like when that when that thing starts revving up its engine and it comes out of the shadows, I was like, "Oh, it's on! He's not getting away now." <laughs> that was such an intense scene and such an interesting depiction of the Batmobile that we've ever seen. But it makes sense for the grounded universe. Like, yeah, of course, it would just be this souped-up muscle car painted black. Like, it wouldn't really be anything else, you know. He's this guy that's just doing petty criminals, and you know, like. He's not going to have this crazy mobile that's going to fly and stuff. Well, there's a lot of there's a very homemade quality to all of Batman's tech, like his suit, his grappling hook, the Batmobile, like the most high tech thing that he's using is those contact lenses that record everything. And I think there's a there's a lot of freedom, at least in a sequel, to introduce um Lucius Fox uh, recast that character and really kind of uh, bring some polish and shine to the Batman, you know, and and bring in some some high tech gadgets that we're that we're so accustomed to seeing and associate with the character. Yeah, absolutely. That would be that would be really cool. I wonder who they would recast him with. But I guess another question for another time. I mean, if we're going to do some fan casting of Lucius Fox, I think it would be fun to cast a younger a younger actor to play him um, just so you can kind of get the dynamic that Bruce has to, because Lucius is a very close accepted friend of Bruce and a very close ally of Batman. And I'm going to go back to the Christopher Nolan film Tenet and think John David Washington would be great to play Lucius Fox in a Batman sequel. That would be awesome. (laughs) Denzel Washington's son. (laughs) Because not only would it feel like a young Denzel, but it would be like his son's so good as well. Yeah, that that would be cool. That beats out my pick. I was gonna say the dude from the Matrix that played Morpheus, like the new one. <laughs> but that's okay. okay. Yeah, or someone like uh, Childish Gambino. But that's awesome. I am so down. Um, that's cool. Very cool. How did uh, you think of Gotham? This Gotham was disgusting. Now, I did love the scenery of Chicago because I live in Chicago. So, like, seeing different areas, especially when Batman was introduced, I'm like, I think that's the brown line or the purple line. I was like, that's definitely a stop I've been on. And then, sure enough, once they went through Wacker, I'm like, oh, there it is. Yep, yep. What did you think? It was gross. Stuff everywhere. Yeah, there's garbage flying everywhere. There's homeless people probably pooping in the streets. Um, but this is this is not the 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 nice clean version of Gotham that we got with uh, the Nolan films. We got a downright dirty, gritty type of portrayal. Like you would not want to live in this version of Gotham, in my opinion. No, 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 not at all. It was yuck. 
<laughs> that was I was like the highlight of the water coming in at the end was like it's washing all the trash away. <laughs> get the rat poop and old newspapers out of the street, please. Just get it out. <laughs> Clean it up. Uh but overall, yeah, the bat- Gotham was cool. Um in terms of like Batman, how it would rate like Patterson. Um different, very physical. I would put him I would put him like right up there with uh Keats and uh Bale. I think it's like just a very fresh take on the character and it's different, unique. Obviously, I think like with Keat Michael Keaton, I just like like him. There's more like nostalgia tied to that rating than like actual like acting and you know, the original. Everyone always loves the original. Um though I've never seen the Adam West. But I, I still do really enjoy Christian Bale as Batman because of the duality of Bruce Wayne. But this is like a very fresh take on it. So I would put him like right up there with those guys. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think Michael Keaton is still the the cinematic standard for Batman portrayals. And I, I would I would like to see Pattinson do more work and see at least how his version of the character evolves Um over the course of um, the two sequels that uh, Matt Reeves is planning. But like, I agree. Like I would put Pattinson up there with Keaton. Like, like you're saying, it's a very, it's a nuanced, ambitious way of portraying not only Bruce Wayne, but Batman. Um, But yeah, like I think Pattinson might go down as the best (laughs) cinematic Batman we've seen. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Very interesting, but it's cool. Um, I guess we could talk about like the cameo before we do red shirts and stuff. Cause at the end, oh, yeah, <laughs> the future of, I know Batman, exactly what you're talking about. The future of Batman was revealed in this awful scene that I don't think was needed at all. But if you want to tell them about it, Chris, <laughs> Um, I think this is like what you were talking about in terms of ending the film earlier than it should have ended because there is a, there's a moment after Red, after you know Batman does his thing at the arena and you know cleans up the city so to speak that we see the Riddler freaking out in Arkham Asylum and then just conveniently in the cell next to him is he's credited as unseen Arkham prisoner but we all know who it is. It's the Joker. It's Barry Keegan, actor uh, actor Barry Keegan as the Joker, saying like, you know, I could be your friend, <laughs> you know, and laughing like the Joker does. And uh, for me, it's just like you don't have to do this. You don't need to set up who's going to be the villain for your sequel because this is this is kind of a mistake that the uh, Batman Begins made. They did the same thing, mm-hmm. and I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that Matt Reeves and the writers don't feel obligated to go in this direction of having the Joker be in any of their films. Cause they don't need to, they don't need to have them there. I echo everything you've said. <laughs> it was a big eye roll for me. Cause it's just, we just had a Joker film that was great that reimagined the character that is going to like, you know, cause Heath did a reimagination and basically culture change. Right influenced the culture of jokers like nicholson did 20 years prior and then now we had uh freaking um god i can't i'm blanking on the name oh my god joaquin phoenix he was able to uh influence the joker and like 
influence culture and like set the precedent. Now it's like, we don't need another one. <laughs> oh, we went through Jared Leto and I don't want to go through another one, man. No, but oh, well. No, I'd like to see them dive into the modern well of villains that have come up recently. Like we were talking before we recorded of maybe introducing Hush as the main villain um, in a in the next film or even bringing on the Court of Owls because uh, there's a lot of interesting things to do there. But just do do something to keep this story modern. Don't I mean, don't go back to the serial killer well because that's going to be a that's just going to be a trope of the franchise if you do that again. But just don't. Don't feel like you have to return to the Joker. Like, you don't have to. Batman has the best and biggest rogues gallery of any comic book hero. There's no reason to go back to the Joker if you don't have to. Totally agree with you. I hope they do go the uh, Court of Owls route because that was such a good comic book series. Great villains. That's our take. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think I can... Uh, uh, figure out like what's your lens flare is your is your lens flare the introduction of the joker i would say yes that is my lens flare <laughs> okay because right, i i've got one that's slightly different than that okay throw it at me okay okay so at the end we see uh selena uh packing up her things to leave gotham and she and she's got a cat in tow with her mm -hmm. and if you remember from earlier in the movie she had an apartment full of cats and you mean to tell me she's leaving Gotham with just one of those cats? <laughs> like, what happened to all those other cats? What what makes this just one cat so special that she's taken with her? I mean, wh why she got to abandon the apartment full of cats? What's going on there? <laughs> Maybe they're all murdered except that one. I mean, I hope not. That mo movie becomes infinitely darker if you're, <laughs> if you're implying that there's a, an apartment full of dead cats. <laughs> Right, I I didn't check the floor in that scene. I don't I don't know. I feel like she would be pretty heartbroken because she loved. She has a thing for strains. Maybe she gave them to Bruce. We'll see the next movie. Yeah. There'll be a bunch of cats walking around Wayne Manor. Oh man, yeah. That, it's like yeah. Would she just think? Oh, screw them cats. I'm only taking this one. That's right. <laughs> uh, how's the? Uh, well, I, I don't know if there's any red shirts in this film. I don't think so. Yeah, like the people who die, like move the story forward. I mean, you have Don Mitchell, Pete Savage, um, Gil Colson, and then uh, Carmine Falcone. And then, you know, probably a bunch of unnamed people that are killed when the when the seawall is <laughs> um, blown up. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, I, no, nobody that I could really. I mean, there's also Annika, the, um, I guess, uh, the the call girl at the at the Iceberg Lounge. Yeah. Yeah, but they all moved the story, so it wasn't like this random Joe. So, no red shirts for this movie in a very uh, once-in-a-lifetime time. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, this film's crushing it, though. I, I think it's over $200 million now. It's at $269 million according to Wikipedia, so it's grossed its budget. Yeah, but you got to think, too, like, I mean, it was made on a, that huge budget, uh, with a massive marketing budget as well, um, the release was delayed a couple of times. So you got to think like there's, I would have think that they made this movie for like three hundred and fifty million dollars when you factor in all the budget. So for it to be profitable, like it's probably going to have to make between eight hundred and nine hundred million. I mean, they're making a they're making two sequels, so there's no 
there's no jeopardy there but yeah this like you were saying this movie is totally crushing it in box office numbers oh yeah and it will i'm sure it will continue um so yeah that's good right well cool so uh, anything else we got before uh, or anything else you want to say before we give it the old rating? Uh no, let's uh let's dive into our rating Woo! for for the Batman. All right. So using our unique scale for the Force Fed Sci-Fi podcast of wooden watch. Wood watch. Wood own. And what host of viewing party, Sean, what do you give to the Batman? Uh the Batman. So I had to watch this film uh twice to kind of like take it in, and then I had to like sit on it for a while because I had like a lot of mixed up and down reactions. Um because it was tough. It's like um the Nolan trilogy is kind of like the one that I grew up on. So it was just very it's just so different. Like that I watched again, and it's just like that trilogy is like just so it's just different in every regards. Quick shots themes very blatant themes and motivational lines woven through it so very hopeful um but it's really gone up and down but i would put this uh movie since there are challenges like i don't really care for the ending um the pacing is just woof really long um and i do feel like at the end they kind of wrote themselves into hole so had to like have all that extra stuff the last 30 minutes um which was tough at times, seeing because it almost felt unearned for Batman. But I understand why they did it. So I would put this as a um, in between a wood watch and a wood own, more closer to a wood own, probably a wood own. Um, I don't think it's a perfect film. I do think it's good. I think it's very well done, and it's a great depiction of like how filmography and like movies and now like just have progressed so much, and like directors make just such great beautiful flicks now and there's just so many themes but I just feel writing wise there was just so much going on when it didn't have to be so it could have been a lot simpler but it's cool um but I still prefer I guess Nolan just because it's a little bit more chipper and less dour for me so that's what I give it uh probably a wood watch or uh, a wood own right in between there how about you Chris well, I got to say, definitely higher marks from you than I was initially expecting because you were <laughs> we were talking off air a little bit and you were uh, you were full on kind of riding the criticism train a little bit, which is fine. <laughs> like, it's, that's why we do this podcast. That's why art is subjective. Not everybody's supposed to have the same opinion. Yeah. Um, and it takes it, you know, the more I ruminate on it and then just realize that it's art and uh, you look inside yourself and be like, all right, what's the real reason, Sean? What's really going on deep down? Is it really Batman or is it me? <laughs> and then you just, plus talking about this film is pretty cool too. So please, Chris, thank you. <laughs> with no regard, what what would you rate? Uh, with no further ado, what would you rate the Batman? Um, so I'm going to do my best to, to put aside my mega fandom here for a minute and come at this dispassionately, like, when I heard initially that this movie was going to be three hours long, I thought, oh my gosh, this isn't like an Avengers movie or the culmination of the Infinity Saga. Like, what what sort of Batman story are you going to tell in three hours? And I got to say, it made full use of that three hours. I love the idea of crafting 
uh, a Batman story around a central mystery, central conspiracy. I think it's something that a lot of film, a lot of fans have wanted for a long time. And it's also a, a film, a welcome film that we don't get a lot of anymore. I, I love that idea of making a central conspiracy the main crux of the film. Um, I can't speak enough about the performances of Pat, of Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, Jeffrey Wright. Amazing performances from top to bottom. I think Pattinson brings this level of moodiness and brooding that's been missing for a little bit. Um, I love the soundtrack from Michael Giacchino. I've been listening to it nonstop. And the cinematography, the lighting, the camera work is absolutely incredible. Uh, Greg Fraser just bathes this movie in red, natural lighting, utilizes a ton of darkness. And honestly, I think there is something here for fans of all all films. Maybe not romantic comedies, but if you're a fan of crime films, thrillers, superhero films, it's it's a rare film that checks all of my boxes. And this is some of the most ambitious storytelling that I've seen in a long time. And it's I think it's the kind of film that's going to influence filmmakers for years. And hi, Marks, all around. I'm calling this a wood host a viewing party. I'd have people over. I'd rent a projection screen. We're making Batman-themed treats. I encourage costumes. Please come to my Batman viewing party. <laughs> there you go. Hi, Marks from Chris. That's awesome. That's awesome. And we'll cool. I can't say enough about this movie. I'm I'm going to see it multiple times before its theatrical run ends. And then I'm going to wear out my HBO Max subscription watching it once it's on there. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, good. Good, good, good. I'm glad you enjoy it, man. Keep rocking it out. Well, too easy. That yeah. That is the Batman, folks. This is what we have to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, nice little departure from our normal uh, science fiction uh, genre but sean my friend regardless of what movie we talk about it is always a pleasure to talk these movies with you <laughs> right back at you chris i appreciate you man thank you thank you oh uh, you're welcome and if you all enjoyed this episode of the force fed sci-fi podcast please head on over to apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review you can also leave us a five-star review on spotify it really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show we are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at ForceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you stream your audio. And go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, ForceFedSciFi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. And so for all of us at the ForceFed Sci-Fi team, we will see you next time.